I'm Sinead O'Moore and you're listening to Every Mum the Podcast supported by Water Wipes, the world's purest baby wipes made with only two ingredients, 99.9% purified water and a drop of fruit extract. From fertility to birth, pandemic parenting to taking care of ourselves, here we talk to women about their own unique experiences of motherhood, the insane joy and the anxious defeat, the love, the laughs, the tears, and the moments that we don't talk enough about. This season is supported by one of the most essential products for every mum. From that first nappy change to those messy weaning months, water wipes. Winners of seven National Parenting Product Awards 2021, including Best Baby Wipes, water wipes are proven to be purer than cotton wool and water, making them ideal to protect and gently cleanse sensitive newborn and even premature skin. As the number one wipe in Ireland, together we are committed to providing more support for parents with trusted products and this podcast. In this episode of Everyone the Podcast, we are joined by Daniela Moyles to celebrate the birth of her newborn and her new self. Nothing can prepare you for motherhood because nobody has walked your journey to get here. Nobody has had your birth. Nobody has had your baby. Nobody is you. Together, you are completely newborn. As a trainee psychotherapist, author of Jump, a book about refinding yourself in this intense world, and founder of the Still and Balanced Body Training, Daniela entered motherhood with a toolkit to support her body and mind, yet has still found the transformation, like most of us, beyond what she could have expected. We talk about how motherhood is like a whole new language, about how once you learn that language, you must then also have the courage to trust yourself and to honor your own needs while you give everything you are to your little love. We talk about birth, oxytocin, epidurals and maternal strength. We talk about self-doubt and deep love. We talk about breastfeeding and a newfound respect for women. And we talk about how when a baby is born, so too is a mother. Daniela, thank you so much for joining me on Every Mum, the podcast. Congratulations on the first eight weeks of motherhood. It's never easy. It's never easy. And it is completely life changing. I usually have that like Irish tendency to bat away the compliment, you know, to be like, ah, sure, look, it was grand. But on this occasion, I'll take it wholeheartedly. Like, thank you for those congratulations. It is a roller coaster. Like I, I know people use that, like that, that saying, and, and it's probably lost all meaning, but like nothing could have prepared me for the highs, the lows, the learning, the, the absolute exhaustion, the awe, the everything that comes with it. And like, you know, it, it relentlessly continues day after day after day. So I will wholeheartedly take that. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm glad I made it here. The intensity is is something that I don't think we can ever understand. And I'm glad you said, like, it is the intensity of the exhaustion and the love and the awe and the despair and the this and the that. I find sometimes we can get too locked in, you know, like you can still love it and find it challenging at the same time. That's okay. So, I mean, before I was a mum, I, I, I didn't consume a lot of mum content, mm. right? But I'm really intrigued to hear 
who is saying it's not challenging? <laughs> who is saying that? Is there people who say that? Because it is wildly challenging. Like it, it, saying the things we all know, that it is the most wonderful, transformative, like spectacular levels of selflessness that you'll find like there is no limit to the love and patience and just total magic I find when I look in my son's eyes and at the same time every part of my sense of self has crumbled do you know like there's it's the biggest paradox the biggest conflict the biggest um the biggest transformation I've ever gone through so I mean and that's me just speaking honestly I would love to meet the person who says it's not challenging because they are an extension of mother earth and I just want to be around them <laughs> I'm figuring out that it's impossible to give everything you have without losing parts of who you are newborn and postpartum in that phase like it's very dependent I think on where you're at as a woman kind of going into it what your pregnancy was like what your journey to conception was like what your birth was like all of those things contribute to like how you're experiencing the you know the these eight weeks that you've just gone through mm -hmm. I think it's really unfair to compare when people have had completely different experiences into conception through pregnancy yeah. in that birth and yet we all kind of conspire to be like it should be like this it shouldn't True. it's your it's where you're at yeah I mean it is when you think about it like that like it's the longest journey and there's so many different avenues to that end um, but nothing could have prepared me and I did really try to prepare like I read all the books I did all the the getting ready I talked to everybody that I could you know I ticked all the boxes um, but it, I remember so vividly the moment I got like wheeled back into the into the room on my own and um, my partner could stay for about two hours and then he had to leave and I was just left with this newborn and I actually called the nurse like I pressed the buzzer called the nurse and I said to her um why do they cry again like can you just like can you just remind me why do they cry again because I was still like my whole body was after just going through the most physically um exertive thing I've ever experienced and then you're just left with this tiny vulnerable like my baby was premature and he was only six pounds 13 ounces mm -hmm. he looked so tiny to me and she said to me I'll never forget she's like there's four things just repeat these four things I like, keep them in your mind she's like they either have a wet or dirty nappy they're too hot or they're too too cold they need to be fed or they need a cuddle and I was like okay they have a dirty nappy check the nappy okay they need a cuddle do they need a cuddle okay he's hungry <laughs> you know what I mean like I was going through it as if it was like I lost all instinct in that mm. moment and I was totally shell-shocked and just felt unraveled completely vulnerable um and it's it's funny because you think that that will pass in like the snap of a finger, but really that is a new sense of self that you have to get used to this kind of, um, like the best way I could put it, and it probably sounds a bit airy fairy is before I had my baby, I very much resided in a masculine energy, like, you know, to, to use that term I mean kind of I was very independent I really focused on productivity I didn't lean a lot into asking for help or into into vulnerability and in an instant I was completely unraveled into the most feminine energy you could ever embody um 
And it was just a shock. It was a shock to be so vulnerable. I felt like I was minding my baby, but I'd also needed someone to mind me. <laughs> and thank God for my partner, because he literally spoon fed me for many, many, many days and weeks afterwards. It's also in that vulnerability, you're being tasked with learning a new language. It's this new communication system to, to lean in and to trust what yeah, like your instincts middle. are telling you yeah completely and it's like they're communicating but you have to interpret it yeah. and then you have to trust your interpretation of it and then you have to know what the action is to now do and the action can be as simple as changing the nappy but guess what if you haven't actually changed nappies before you stand there being like I don't know what I'm doing yeah that was me and, and, and really it's like when you open the nappy you wipe it you clean it you put it like the action steps are fine but I definitely found like I found myself like really useless all of a sudden you know for simple simple actions like that you ringing like the nurse bell being like why did I cry like yeah. no do you know I really like, I didn't even know that babies could get overtired I mean that is the level of of not knowing and the level of you know learning a new, a new language and I actually I put it that way to my partner I felt like I learned I learned three languages in the last eight weeks like but you can feel it like it's so metabolically heavy like you're exhausted at the end of the day and it's, I think it's because not only are you learning so much every minute every hour but you care immensely so you can't even switch off for one of those hours to be like oh I don't care if I learned that well this hour you know mm. like you truly it is life or death like you, you care so much that every single need is met and met correctly that it's exhausting yeah it's so exhausting and I now eight weeks in you know there's wisdom that I wish I'd had in the beginning but like now I'm starting to understand the difference in his cries or you know that's a fussy cry okay that's getting into a distress cry now or that's a hunger cue like even those little cues that that are so obvious to me now and are so clear like all of that was in a big fog in the beginning and I was just like fumbling around trying to figure out what I was doing um, and I'm very grateful to have had so much amazing support because that's really what uh, helped me to kind of part that fog in the beginning because I feel like that's so challenging because you're um, you're harder on yourself than ever before because it matters so much. And through, I suppose, the last few years of your work and your writing and your sense of like looking after our well-being, but also not taking on things that we carry too heavily to learn how to put things down and to move and to flow and to like ride through whatever life challenge has been thrown at you. And it's hard to do that. I think one of the most challenging transitions and transformations because you just kind of don't get, you don't get the chance, you don't get the moment and yeah. the things that you probably used to do to fix <laughs> yourself yeah. have also just been kind of eroded. But have you felt that because of the, you know, the immense knowledge that you've gained over the last few years and you know, with your, you know, writing your books and studying these practices that you can pull on some of those little learnings to kind of get you through those really tough days. Oh my God. I am so grateful for those years. I would have struggled a lot, I think, without having done that work. And that's just speaking plainly again. Um, you know, there was so many days over the first 
four, maybe six weeks where, again, the learning is just so consuming um, and the change is so consuming that like there was days I didn't even put knickers on. Like, you know, like there, I would be wandering around. I'd be like, are you telling me it's 4 p.m.? I'd have like two boobs hanging out of my dressing gown, no <laughs> knickers on. I wouldn't have eaten. My, my partner's like, did you even drink water today? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the best tool, and I kept repeating it to myself and I kept leaning into it. And especially when you consider the fact that, as I, as I mentioned, like a big part of my identity, a big part of my self-worth was this kind of productivity Mm. independent mindset so I kept having to repeat to myself surrender like just fully fully surrender this is a short phase of life um and I I kept feeling the urge to fight the reality you know because it wasn't it, it wasn't in my mind it wasn't what I was used to you know everything was messy I was all over the place and there was no manual for how to do things right you're kind of you know you're you're trying and trying and trying again and a lot of those times you're failing and you're just you know that for me was very difficult I'm a perfectionist I like to do things right like there was so many things that were challenging for me personally and I just had to keep saying surrender to this completely enjoy this moment you'll never have this moment this hour this day with your tiny baby again and it's so fleeting and when I was in the thick of it I did not believe that but now that I'm eight weeks which is still so early but I look back now and already I reminisce on how big he's gotten and how much it's changed and it really is so fast so I'm glad I'm glad I had that tool to lean into because otherwise I think I could have gotten consumed by all of the other chatter in my mind that told me I need to do more or I shouldn't be like this or I shouldn't feel this way or uh, yeah so that really really helped me and once I kind of got past the the total chaos of the beginning which is just so consuming I have been able to kind of implement you know my my very basic self-care tools that I would have really done every single day uh, in a a manageable way probably since week six I've been able to like get 10 minutes to meditate or um, a few minutes to like get into the elements like I always love doing one little thing that gets me out in the elements either it's a walk or it's getting in some fresh water or the ocean or you know something that surrounds you in nature and gives you that moment to just click back into groundedness so yeah since about week six I've managed to implement those small small tools or even just sometimes sitting down getting a cup of coffee on my own when it doesn't go cold is is a win so I'll take what I can get on any given day but it's definitely been a huge help having a a little bit of knowledge around psychology and 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 wellness and self-care um and I'm really grateful that I didn't look at it like a luxury you know, that I didn't say, oh, that's another thing now that I, that I don't deserve because I shouldn't mm-hmm. be doing this or I should be doing that. Um, taking those moments to, to relearn how to implement those practices has helped me a lot to be in good form um, and to be, you know, probably a more present, more happy partner and mom. I really regret not doing that. Like I, I, and I, and I've seen the, the problems that come after when you don't and it it does start in those early weeks like if you if you strip everything away from yourself and get into that mindset of like either I don't deserve it or I can't make time for it or you know it's it's a martyrdom thing that we kind of we don't we don't choose sometimes we just allow it to to control 
And I'm, you know, I have to work hard at silencing that and being like, no, I do need to do this. Yeah, like that's the instinctive voice. Yeah. That I, I think that's the default voice is the voice that says that's selfish yeah. or, you know, that's going to upset the routine or, you know, you can't put him down right now. Or, you know, all, all of this kind of guilt, shame, you know, like what really it is the best thing I think that you could do for yourself and your family. And it's 10 minutes, you know, 10 minutes, like, and to, to, to think that 10 minutes is too much really does speak to the pressure and the change that that motherhood brings. But I, I totally resonate with that. Like I fought with that for the first while. And that's why I remember actually after it might've been week four, maybe week three. Um, I really had the bubble of the newborn. You know, there was a few reasons why it was the middle of that Omicron variant, which is now thankfully starting to, you know, peter off. Mm. It was also Christmas time. It was the middle of winter. So, you know, my newborn bubble was very bubbly. <laughs> I remember about three or four weeks in my partner saying to me, you know, you really haven't been out for a walk. Like you haven't been up off the couch. I would literally go from the bed to the couch. Um, and as I mentioned, like some days I wouldn't even put knickers on. So like, you know, he'd take him for a few minutes. I'd grab a shower and I'd be back on that couch because um, I was breastfeeding. And the first few weeks are so intense trying to get that established. My partner said to me, like, let's get out for a walk. And I remember how intimidating that thought was the thought of having to put my baby who half the time was skin to skin or just in a vest into a baby grow into an outfit that was suitable for the weather into a pram which he may not like because it's different than lying on my body and um, out into the elements and I remember when we finally got out like the tingling and itching in my legs because I had been so stagnant like as in the blood flow was just starting to to move and my body was like itching from the feeling of like circulation in my legs um, and that was what kind of gave me a kick up the arse and I went no like you know if, if I'm so stagnant that like doing a, a small slow flat 3k walk is causing you know this kind of level of delight in my you know in my in my blood or whatever I was like I need to I need to you know make 10 minutes a day 15 minutes a day 20 minutes a day to do this and that was kind of uh, the beginning of of maybe getting a little bit more courage because it did feel like that. It felt like a brave thing to do at that time. I think we forget how restorative small things can be for us. And when sleep is completely, you know, taken out of our control, which used to be our main source of replenishment, mm -hmm. like that's gone. But actually there are really effective minor moments in the day that can just just keep keep your system well whether that is just taking those moments in the elements as you said like you know reconnecting with fresh air or water but also just a mindset just sitting in silence can often just really be effective and or not having anyone touch you for a few minutes oh my god <laughs> it's like the best thing ever it's the best thing ever and like it's really sad like the bar is low yeah the bar is so low when a shower is actually bringing yeah. you back to life and you know what's funny I remember for the first while I'd get in the shower and I'd swear I could hear him crying and I'd have to turn in the shower <laughs> off and open the door and I'd be like oh my god he's not and I could it was like I was it was like a mirage in my mind but um another tool that I used over the first few weeks that really helped me um, and I proactively use this because I could feel, you know, the way you get that big, big high, 
when you're in the hospital and you've given birth and it is better than any drug that you could ever take like I would look at my baby and just the tears would fall with happiness it was just like a big yeah just an oxytocin overdose and then you know that peters off and you start to you know lean into some of the harder things like the lack of sleep or maybe you're not you know eating as well as you did you're not getting out in the fresh air as much as you did and with all of those little um changes comes that negativity bias like that 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 hypervigilance you're like able to see the bad so much more readily than the good and it's just like an onslaught of all of the problems all of the things that are you know wrong or challenging or not good enough or you know all of the different reasons to feel down or sad or bad um and so from the first week I started to as often as possible even when it didn't feel genuine I would reframe the situation so I would try to observe the thought that was making me feel worse so I'd be like why why am I feeling this like why am I feeling this heaviness or why am I feeling this restlessness or irritation or um reactiveness or just anything that felt like out of sorts and I would try to observe what the thought was and it was it would always be generally at this point something small enough right like something like let's say I haven't been out today and I would try to reframe that into something positive or I try to reframe it into something uplifting or empowering or something that I could um use just to make myself feel grounded in that moment so I would say well I haven't been out today because I'm feeding my baby and it's not always it's not always possible and and sometimes I suppose it can feel inauthentic so it can feel like you're just trying to force positivity down your own throat when it's not actually um real and of course I'm not talking about invalidating your own experience or or you know denying or suppressing bad feelings not at all recognizing the feeling recognizing how it's making you feel in your body as in like what what color is it giving to your mood how is it coloring your mood um and within that I think you've got a decision you can make you can either stay in that mood and in that color you can wallow in that you can keep manufacturing that feeling over and over by repeating the negative thought over and over um or you can empower yourself by looking at all of the different alternative ways that you can view that situation so just reframing it even if it's only one rung up the ladder of Mm. positivity you know even if it is but you know I haven't gotten out today but I had a really lovely cup of coffee or you know again these small small things that allow you to just um slightly reframe your situation that really kept me afloat and really helped me sometimes when I did feel that too many uh aspects of myself had had fallen away on on an average day um so yeah that was another really helpful tool I think that that's what helped me when I had my second baby I was able to reframe because I was able to see this is just a phase this does end this is just a bad day It is not now my life forever. Yeah. And you will miss this. Yeah. And I was able to sink in much kinder and easier and just embrace it because I didn't feel like this is my life now forever. I'm going to be trapped forever. I'm going to be holding this, you know, in in the cluster feeds forever. It's like, oh, no, you won't. Yeah that's not how it is this is just a moment in time so just sit yeah just sit it's gonna be okay tomorrow be better 
you know, it does require massive amounts of self-compassion. Mm. And sometimes, um, you know, self-love was not something that I came to easily. And I don't think it, it's something that many people come to easily, you know, like. Especially if you carry that masculine energy and you've been operating in that masculine world of like, you're not allowed to show sort yeah. of that self-compassion. because And even culturally, you yeah. know, she loves herself yeah. is an insult. Yeah. And it's yeah. not it's not massively encouraged in in Irish culture to be self-loving in an overt way, you know, like, you know, to show it openly, I think is kind of frowned upon. (laughs) So um, I don't, it's not something that I came to easily, you know, like if you were to look in the mirror and say something really kind about yourself, you know, that's a bit odd. I think we look in the mirror and, and instantly what we do is we criticize, we critique, we find the flaw, we say something negative to ourselves. Um, it's not like we look in the mirror every day and say, God, you're such a great listener, you know, or, you know, your skin's really glowing today, or, you know, we don't, we don't generally have that narrative with ourselves. Um, and that is such a deficit going into motherhood as well, because it requires like excesses of self-compassion and excesses of self-love and really giving yourself the pat on your back that you deserve. I think one of the ways I was able to cultivate a little bit of that was, was a general, um, awe of women I was just saying this to you there that like when I had my baby and and was left in that kind of uh you know state of of just pure shock afterwards in the room I remember thinking no like you're capable of this because every woman before you has done it and there's so many women even in the room next to you just you know down the road everywhere doing this right now um and it really made me look at women in a whole new way um just total and utter awe to be honest um and I think that allowed me to transfer a bit of that back onto myself like I was part of that gang you know I was like I'm in that tribe now we can do this yeah and it's funny because there really is a sense of camaraderie like a sense of solidarity and sisterhood like I even felt my relationships with my friends who I've been friends with since school transform in an instant like the the messages felt different it was like a sense of you know I see you and you see me um which is so necessary like you need your tribe you really do to ask all the stupid questions to like do babies get overtired <laughs> why do they cry again <laughs> This podcast is just one way that every mum can support you. Another amazing way is with our free gift bag, packed full of essentials for you and baby, including free samples of water wipes, the number one wipe against nappy rash. To receive yours, just register now on everymum.ie. There's a free gift bag there waiting for every mum. But it's it's just, it's instinct. It's instinct. It's, it's, you know, it's that level of self-doubt that goes on. But you also mentioned in the hospital that intense oxytocin love that kicked in which Mm -hmm. not every woman experiences Mm -hmm. but I love I love to hear when it does as well you know um I think that when it doesn't it can be quite frightening when it doesn't happen because it's something that you you expect um did it did it was it immediate for you was it an hour later a day later like when when did you feel that sort of oxytocin rise? And I think that's really important to flag. Like it's hormonally charged, mm. not, not necessarily you, the person. No, I don't think there's anything that you can do to make it happen or not happen. And obviously this is my only baby. So I have no reference point for what a different experience would feel like. But um, 
for me, I think my birth was really positive. My, my, uh, my birth experience was really positive, really empowering. Mm. And maybe that contributed as well. Mm -hmm. I'd had a very low risk pregnancy up until 36 weeks. Um, and I got diagnosed with a condition called cholestasis. Um, my mom had had it as well. So I knew I had an inkling that I might be um, vulnerable to it because it's hereditary, but she got it at 16 weeks. So I thought I was laughing. I was like, I'm, I'm after sidestepping this. And what's involved in that? What's the... Well, I'll do my best. I'm not yeah. sure the medical community will push back on this now, but as far <laughs> as I know, they test your liver fu function and your bile acid levels. So um, both of those things were, were off in my case. Um, so my liver function was dysregulated and my bile acid levels were too high. Um, and for the mother, that the symptom is like a very uh, strong, <laughs> like just relentless itch. Um, like it starts on your hands and feet, but it, it does move to kind of all over your body. And it's different than an average itch because you just cannot satiate it. Like you could itch yourself till you bleed and it's just still itching the same amount. Um, but for the baby, as far as I know, it's the bile acid levels that are the issue. So if they get too high, um, the womb is no longer a safe space for them. I think it can affect their heart. Um, it, has a, it has a statistically higher rate of a stillbirth and just some other things that you definitely don't want. Um, so for most mothers that get cholestasis, they, they induce you at 37 weeks. They usually don't let you go past 37 weeks. So I find out at 36 and I, I was like, hang on a minute, do you mean next week? Um, so I was pretty shocked when I went in and found that out. And, and my consultant was amazing. She was really gentle in her delivery and really, really supportive, always kept me informed. We were ticking closer and closer to Christmas. So in my head, I was thinking, God, you know, this might all be rushed now in the end, because I don't know what the hospitals are like on Christmas day, but I'm sure nobody wants to be inducing anybody on Christmas day. Um, but I had really hoped to have a natural birth the whole, the whole time. And I thought it was looking likely. Now I know babies do not care about your birth plan. So I was grateful to have the opportunity to have seven days to even like, you know, process and think about what was going to happen. But she brought me in for regular uh, blood tests over those seven days and things were looking okay. I started on a medication and it, it started to stabilize my liver function. I think my bile acid levels never really stabilized, but my, my liver did a little bit. And so instead of the induction, she actually gave me a sweep just to give me the best chance of going naturally. Now at 37 weeks on your first baby, it's highly unlikely. But when she did the sweep, she actually said to me, she was really positive because um, you know, whatever she had felt up there felt very good. Um, and she said, sometimes that happens when the condition is medical. So your body actually starts to, you know, progress to protect the baby. Yeah. Exactly. So she was like, you know, usually at 37 weeks, we wouldn't expect it to feel the cervix as soft as it was, or to be able to break the waters or to be able to do the sweep as effectively as we did. Um, but yeah, because it was medical, I think my body was already kind of making those moves. Um, so I, I got that sweep on the Tuesday um, and I went into labor that night naturally. So I was wide awake, full of energy, lying on the couch, scrolling aimlessly at like 1 a.m. And uh, I was like, what am I doing? This is one of my last nights to be able to get some sleep, like mm -hmm. go up to bed. Um, went upstairs and heard an actual like movie pop, 
you know, like a balloon popping. Like, I did not know that happened. Everyone said to me, that's in the movies. It's not really like that. Like, you know, sometimes it doesn't break and you'd be getting your contractions and they'll do it for you. And sometimes it's just like a little leak. Mm. No, mine was like a movie. So I hear the pop. I go into the bathroom. I'm, I'm, there's no doubt about it. It's my water's breaking. There's my conium in the waters. Mm. So straight to the hospital. Um, and I knew at that point that I'd have to get, uh, you know, regular monitoring and, mm. But I was just so grateful to have gone naturally. At that point, I was like buzzing. So they let me labor for 14 hours. And I was convinced that I was in labor at this point. I was like bouncing on my ball, absolutely delighted with myself. I think I started my contractions around 1 a.m. and say it was 2 p.m. lunchtime on Wednesday. And I was like, I, I was feeling really good at that point and I was rating my contractions at around a seven, little did I know, but <laughs> I was so sure. They were about 40 seconds in duration. They were around five minutes apart. Um, and I was like, yes, I'm definitely in labor. So I go down to the labor ward and they're like, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> you're, you're not even one centimeter. And I it's so not, crushing, isn't it? I could not believe it. I mean, I know a little bit more now that on your first baby, you know, the cervix is quite a strong muscle mm-hmm. and it can take, you know, a, a quite a lot of effort on the mother's part to really just get to that point of being in dilation. But I didn't know that at the time. And I was like convinced I had done the work at 14 hours. So um, they said to me, look, at this point, uh, you do still need the induction because I had my conium in the waters and because I was they were trying to do the uh, the monitoring on my belly. But now the contractions were, you know, I was moving a bit more and it was getting a little bit more difficult to do that monitoring. So um, they gave me the uh, the oxytocin drip and they said to me, you know, this is something that all women react to differently because I I remember asking you know how long does this process usually take now you know for for your body to start moving into to dilating this is this is different for every woman it could be another 24 hours or you could respond and it could be you know maybe 10 hours so in my head I'm still thinking I have quite a journey to go Mm. they said to me do you do you want the epidural I was like no I'm going to try I'm going to see how this feels because you know I'd never felt what any of this felt like before but I felt like I was doing okay at that time and they gave me the oxytocin um, and when I say I went from human being to wildebeest (laughs) (laughs) like within a matter of seconds I was like making noises I had never heard so needless to say I asked for the epidural because in my head, I'm thinking, <laughs> how can I do this for 10 to 24 more hours? I was already exhausted. Um, and they brought in the anesthetist and he said to me, okay, you have to sit still for, for 20 minutes while I try to put this in your back. And I was thinking, well, that's an impossibility, but I'll do my best. So I'm sitting and my partner is amazing and he's coaching me through every surge that comes. And, you know, I'm like hopping off the gas and air trying to stay still. And he's back there, you know, fumbling around for what feels like an eternity and then he says to me the most random question uh, and this is not a humble brag because I was very very confused he says do you work out <laughs> and I said what I was like what is happening like I thought I was in another dimension like I was after having some kind of I don't know like illusion in my mind that that yeah. had happened and my partner says Daniela he's asked you do you work out and I said no I was like I used to I don't know like why are you asking me this he said I can't get the needle into the muscle in your back and I was like 
okay, well, what does yeah. that mean? So essentially he was trying to get this epidural epidural needle into my back and for whatever reason be it the strength of my back muscles or whatever it didn't work um and I think things were progressing too quickly Mm. for this to go on anymore so I think in that moment everybody in the room had a had a an understanding except for me that they were going to tell me that the epidural worked right (laughs) So they said, okay, okay, it's in now. Don't worry about it. It's absolutely fine. Just lie back. And then there was a bit of a, okay, and I tried to turn to your right, mm. see how that feels, turn to your left, see how that feels. And I was like, I feel everything. That didn't work at all. And they they all, I think, collectively knew this, but were trying to maintain my morale. They were like, no, it's absolutely fine. It'll just take a few more minutes. Now you just keep breathing, keep focusing. And at that point, I was, I had no other choice. I just was absolutely in the thick of of riding these waves um and I heard the um labor ward manager come in at one point because I had gone into this was maybe 30 minutes after the uh oxytocin drip started so this had all happened pretty quickly and um, I had gone into like a big tremble so my body mm-hmm. was just trembling 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 and I couldn't stop and I was getting really hot and then really cold and then really hot and then really cold. And all of this is happening alongside these big contractions. Um, and I hear the labor ward manager come in and, and obviously trying to whisper it out of earshot. I hear she's eight centimeters. Mm. And I'm like, that's impossible. It was 14 hours to zero. So I think I started to realize at that point that there would be no epidural and that this was happening. Um, And something really clicked for me then at that point, I think up until then, once the oxytocin had been um, given, I I was, you know, I was probably unsure it was it just happened so quick. And it was all such new feelings. But at that moment, when I knew that there was going to be no epidural, and I was going to just have to do this, it was the most amazing I don't know, like something from beyond me came to me. I, I, I can explain it a bit more when, usually when I'm talking about this, but I, I think what happened was I moved into the pushing stage then. Mm. And in my head, like the only mind I've ever been able to access was, was doing what it always does, was saying, oh my God, this is so hard. You're not gonna be able to do this. This is impossible. All of this negative chatter. And every time I would take a breath, there was something in my body that went, you absolutely can. Like, it was like all of my ancestors past mm-hmm. knowing in my DNA. And it was, it was actually amazing to, to feel that sense of, no, I know I can do this. Um, and the pushing stage is actually so much easier than the contraction stage. In my experience, I find the contractions so challenging, especially those last, you know, oxytocin induced ones. Mm-mm. And then the, the pushing stage, that was when I had this, this knowing, this, these surges of just, you absolutely can, you can do it, you can do it, coming like up from the depths of somewhere that I don't know. It was like I tapped into another form of consciousness or something. Like I felt so dissociated and yet completely present at the same time. The maddest feeling, but my labor was, I suppose, just very, very empowering and positive. My baby was born within five pushes um I think it took about 30 minutes from the point of starting to push until he was out um and I never felt you know that that sense of out of controlness again that Mm. I feel when that oxytocin trip went in I felt very much like 
yeah, I can do this. And there was a really um, distinct feeling of working with my body. And I think because I had that maybe moment of, of feeling that empowerment when he was born, I got that big rush immediately of oxytocin. Um, yeah, it was, I mean, I did actually feel a bit shell-shocked, I think for a minute or two, because the, this, the physical exertion, like at, at one point when I was pushing, I felt like I could taste blood in my mouth. Like there was nothing, but it was just, obviously there's just so much pressure and so much, you know, everything going on at the same time. And I remember looking down and seeing him for the first time and just being like, uh, there was no feeling at that point. I don't think I was just like, like completely in the throes of, of everything that was happening. But then they, they took him to weigh him and all of that. And it was, it was around then it was like a big tsunami of tears and, and tiredness and just, there is no word. There needs to be a new word found to describe what that is, that, that moment after it's so raw so vulnerable I just cracked open that's how I felt cracked open it was like a new me was born that day and I know you hear that so much the baby is born and so is the mother but yeah I really I really got introduced to a new version of me in that moment um and I, I didn't stop crying for hours afterwards there's actually videos back in the in the in the ward that we were staying on and you can just hear me in the background like <laughs> sobbing but it was happy sobs but I just had to to let it out you know I think there was so much built up in my body you know and after going through the process of labor that those tears were so cathartic like just letting it all out like letting it all out um and I remember that night trying to sleep like as if you know like I had had the baby at 8 p.m or sorry 7 p.m or thereabouts and so you know like sleep totally eluded me that night I don't think that's unusual but I could feel how much my body had gone through Do you know I, every time I would get into that twilight state I would just jump myself awake and there would just be this like it was like I couldn't believe that I'd done it or that I'd gone through it and that he was here but yeah it was it was a very very positive empowering experience at, at no point did I feel not heard or you know I just felt like there was so much support so much care so much um yeah support is probably the best word I can use in in that experience and so I think that allowed for a very nice introduction to motherhood it it's really familiar story to to my own births that that you know that real rush of oxytocin but also I was being pumped full of oxytocin of course, you know, synthetic oxytocin <laughs> order, you know, and, and I, I don't know, I, again, the medical community might correct me, but in my mind, I'm like, well, of course I had that enormous rush. I was chemically benefiting. Yeah. You know? Is there any, is there any, I'd be so interested in that. Like, is there so interested around that? Like the people who get a kind of a synthetic oxytocin, mm. you know, surge during the labor, is there, is there a you know a bigger surge after a correlation between it I think would be fascinating to know more and and also I think the the things that inhibit that fear stress trauma didn't occur and that's why I think we have to show like real self-compassion for if that isn't your experience Mm. like all of those things have massive implications for how we are in that moment and if fear interrupts it and trauma interrupts it 
it's really hard to feel safe yeah and you have for me it was that safety it was that support and safety that made me feel like I can do it I yeah. can do it because I feel my body is in flow my body is is able to do it there is nothing inhibiting it from a physical sense and also the people in the room and when you said when your mind shifted to I can do this it took me right back to a moment where I was in that like final push point and I remember just looking at my midwife and my husband being like I can't do this and in unison they just like you can do this (laughs) and I started just chanting I was like I can do this like they're they're convincing me meant that I just was like I can do this I can do this I can and and like out she came like there is it's really difficult I think we live in a really disconnected world from our minds and our bodies and what both are constantly doing together without us even noticing how when we take a breath we don't even notice and it is sending stuff all over our body and making our heart tick and I think that that's what happens at that point of birth they finally start talking to each other and everything else switches off all rational thought switches off and you're just connected and I think it's it's we're we're very fortunate it's very precious that we got that because often I think if fear and trauma are present it stops that connection and you stay in rational mode because you're tuning into there's a problem or there's fear or why is the room flooded with people and yeah. You know, why do I feel so frightened and afraid? Yeah, it's um, actually a really good point. I think I, I always have said that I'm very privileged to have the birth I have. And I've, I've said that on repeat and I feel that truly. But it is such a good point that that you would stay in your rational mind and how much you cannot stay in your rational mind to have that positive birth. Like, I suppose the language I used was like a shift in consciousness. Mm. Um, and I had always hoped to not have an epidural. Now there's there's hoping to not have an epidural and then there's the experience. But in a lot of ways, I think I visualized and, and asked my, my various family members and stuff to like literally pray for me to like send energy into the universe that I would have this positive birth that I think I had wished for it so much that even when I tried to get it, it didn't work. And I think that there was a reason for that because I'm in the middle of studying for my, my psychotherapy degree um, and I always thought I would go down one particular particular route. I was always going to do my master's in, in trauma, but and I was going to perhaps move into the world of, of psychedelic treatment. But I think now, after having this experience, I would be so interested in doing specifically postnatal trauma um, and specifically, again, postnatal trauma after your epidural um, because of that mind-body disconnect. I was remember during my pushing uh, phase thinking, my 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 midwife and my consultant were at the end of the bed and they were they were coaching me when to push now I didn't need that coaching because you know you cannot fight that expulsion Mm. reflex when your body is telling you to push you know well when to push I remember thinking at that time which is funny that I remember thinking anything at that time but I do remember thinking you're telling me to push when my body doesn't want to Mm. and I was telling them back no 
no and I was saying not yet mm-hmm. like I was coaching them back but I remember thinking if I didn't have that unison with my body if I wasn't working like that this would be a very chaotic experience like I would be pushing and wondering why nothing was progressing and then not pushing when my body is pushing and using the energy you need for when you need it to push and my god that energy is precious you only yeah. get I, I don't know how many more I could have done but I did probably five or six and like you are exhausted at mm-hmm. the end of it um so yeah, I remember thinking, what must that be like? And I, I didn't get any tears or anything like that. And I wasn't particularly thorough with my perineal massage or I, I did actually buy uh, one of those uh, Epino, I think they're called. And then I never got to use it because I went so premature. So I hadn't done a huge amount of work to not get a tear. And as far as I had heard, that's quite common. It's quite common to get a tear, you know, like I was very much I was very much prepped for that to be part of my recovery. But I think because I had that connection and I could push when my body was pushing, I didn't get a tear. Um, but, you know, all of those tiny, tiny things contribute to um, a birth that leaves you feeling, um, you know, empowered or traumatized. Mm-hmm. So it's all of those tiny, tiny little things. And I remember um, thinking at the end, like there's just not enough support or resources or follow-up treatment for the mother to process the birth experience like even that inability to sleep that night that hypervigilance the tears the the shaking the the jumping that's your body processing that's your body processing the exertion the emotional and physical experience of labor um and you know there's no manual for that as well i know but there's also no support no conversation no anything around how best to process the experience of labor it very much becomes about the baby you know mm-hmm. immediately and that's right of course you, you have to keep this tiny tiny very vulnerable yeah, but you're alive. forgotten you're forgotten and then it leads into what we started this conversation on is that you're immediately forgotten mm. and you don't feel then that you deserve to process you yeah. feel like you're supposed to live in a state of total gratitude for the rest of your life and not put your hand up and say, I love my baby. And I found that really traumatizing. Yeah, no, I do. I do totally agree with that. I think because my experience was grounding and good and even the relentlessness, relentlessness of motherhood thereafter was mm-hmm. shocking. I can't imagine what it is to be starting from a place of feeling truly torn apart or or truly um, unsettled or, or still reeling in the, in the kind of chaos or unprocessedness of that labor. And then on top of that, having to fulfill the asks of motherhood, it's, it's, it's depleting in the extreme. Um, <laughs> you know, like I love nature as I've already kind of mentioned that it's something that's a big part of my, my day-to-day wellness, but like there was a moment after labor where I questioned like nature's wisdom I was like how can this be so one-sided how can you expect us to build birth and feed this baby like Mm -hmm. you know and then you you take sleep from us you take like just basic hygiene and self-care from us like there was really a moment where I started to question the logic and, and wisdom of nature and I never do that I always think you know the wisdom is in nature whatever is the natural root is the wise root um And I'm sure there is, you know, some longevity factor to be found in the adversity of all of this. But like, yeah, there there is such an unfairness, such an unjustness in how much of it falls on the woman. Um, And I think that that just needs to be said. You know, it is just incredibly one sided. It's all on you. But it's all on us when the village is gone. 
Yeah. And when you speak there of like nature is wise and the wisdom of how we are biologically set up. Yeah, but culture has shifted us mm. so far away from the things that we would have that nature intended us to have in order to be able to not just survive this, but to actually be nurtured in it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I read before um, giving birth, my friend sent it to me. It's called the first 40 days. And it speaks, it speaks to that, you know, and I'm, I'm really blessed. My mom moved in with us for two weeks after I came home from the hospital um, and she like left me in the bubble with the baby and she just cleaned the house and cooked nourishing meals <laughs> and that was what she did for me for two weeks and I've never cried as hard the day that she that she left because it was vital to my survival like it was because you know as much as we can say so much of it falls on the woman and it does you know my partner was still going through the transition of becoming a dad and you know trying to also navigate what it means for him to look after this baby and also look after me mm-hmm. and to make the most of his paternity leave and to know that he has less time than me and you know all of those different challenges so um it's definitely so much more physically and emotionally uh, draining on the mother but there's so much that happens for the father as well that to have that like extra extra support was absolutely vital and yeah I don't I don't know how we've gotten so far away from that innate just logic you know it feels so right to have someone care for you like that actually a good story one of my friends one of my good friends Natasha is a doula um and I didn't you know I I suppose I didn't think that I would need doula care after giving birth but one of the days she'd come to visit me I had been, I, my journey into breastfeeding was, was not as beautiful as my, my birth story. It was mm. really challenging. Like I found breastfeeding so much more challenging than labor. Um, I think my timing wasn't great. I, I got out of hospital on Christmas Eve and, you know, you can't really retreat into that bubble to kind of establish your milk supply and just sit around half nude, which is so necessary. So, you know, I had, I had one or two days where I was seeing family and, you know, formula was easier. Um, and then I started to see the challenges of, of trying to latch him, you know, like when I, when I gave him the bottle, he was just comfortable and happy. And when I would try to latch him because it was a new experience, he would be fussy and frustrated. And I was just thinking, God, the grass is greener. Let's just Mm. do formula. But I kept humming and hawing and toing and froing and wanting to do uh, one thing and then saying, oh no, maybe the other thing is easier. And, you know, am I just being selfish now trying to breastfeed? He's actually happier on the bottle. Like what's my ego doing here? Like, but I kept trying um, and eventually after about uh, 10 days of, of a lot of toing and froing, I did establish my breastfeeding, but not before he got the most intense wind and constipation. That was really the, the point for me when I said, no, I'm going to stick to one or the other because it's mm-hmm. it, it, he was getting nipple confusion. He was just, his digestive system was all over the place. And I was like, no, I'm sticking to one or the other. I'm doing the breastfeeding. Um, and uh, my logic at that time, bearing in mind I was only a few days postpartum, was that I would transition him gently from the bottle to the boob. So I would express the milk into the bottle and slowly start to drop the bottles and bring him back onto the boob. But in my frenzy of pumping, I gave myself mastitis. Mm. I, I swear to God, I think my body thought I, would, I had had triplets. I was pumping that much. <laughs> so 
I got mastitis on the day that my friend Natasha, who's a doula, was was over to visit. Um, And this just happened by coincidence. She called and uh, I was feeling a bit unwell before she arrived. I had a little nap and I remember thinking, oh, I'm not up for this visit. But actually, when she got there, I felt really good and I was chatting. A couple of hours into the visit, I got this tremble and I was like, freezing I'm just I'm gonna go upstairs and have a shower I'll be back down in a minute I think she kind of knew that there was something off I came back down and she said I'm not going anywhere I had completely fallen into the the fever I was gone so pale my eyes were all gray I I had like I knew I had some pain in my breasts I knew I had some knots but again this was something I was not educated on and my instinct there would have been just to collapse into bed and to absolutely not try and latch him none of that would have been my instinct but she stayed with me the whole evening and the whole night and she manually with her hand in my haka drained my breasts so she was massaging the knots with lavender oil and very gently draining the breasts so as to release that that block duct but also not stimulate more milk and she kept latching him in the most creative ways I've ever seen I didn't know you could latch babies this way I was still trying to just learn what the basic you know holds were she was latching them upside down and in a dangling position and putting his chin here and it was amazing 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 and when I woke the next morning she had released so much of this block that my fever had gone and I didn't need antibiotics and that to me was the most symbolic experience of what it is to have a tribe to have the person in the tribe you know that has that knowledge like I kept calling her funny names I kept saying to you you're like a shaman you're like an elder and she's like Danielle it's called a doula and I was like oh yeah okay (laughs) but I just I was just so like I was moved to tears with the gratitude to have a sister to have somebody who could offer me that level of care and support when again when you feel so vulnerable so tired so so uneducated on what's happening you know I I really didn't have the tools there to help myself and she helped me in the most profound way at that time and not only that it helped me not to just give up on my breastfeeding journey because of that challenge and I was so grateful and indebted to her at the end of you know that entire night of manually draining my boob um but yeah it just it just spoke to me of of what's missing you know that that nearby sisterhood that that knowledge that that yeah, that tribe that we need to kind of flourish in those first weeks. We're not meant to do it alone. No, definitely. We're not meant to. And I know, like, yes, we have our partner there, but I don't know, you speak there of, like, you know, nature and everything like that. I think of, like, Animal Kingdom. Like, the lionesses, they pack together. They pack together. They look after each other's young. They're in, they're in a tribe together because... There is so much wisdom that comes from the fact that I did it last week, last month, last year. I've done it once. I've done it twice. I've done it three times. I've done it four. That's infinite support and learning that naturally comes by women being collective. Mm-hmm. We're not meant to be doing it like this. Yeah. We're meant to have that friend, you know, that doula, that, that knowledge. And we just don't. We just don't. And I suppose that was the reason for this podcast so that we could possibly try and connect um but it is also the reason that if you continue with your studies and you do go down that you know postnatal trauma route I can tell you from the conversations I have here or the conversations I have on Instagram because of the podcast there is immense immense need yeah. for that trauma to be healed and yeah. the trauma of a breastfeeding journey ending before it wanted to or a fertility journey not happening when it was 
intending to there the layers upon layers and reasons why we are experiencing any kind of maternal trauma mm-hmm. are endless and yeah it does feel like a very worthy avenue and a very um I suppose unresourced or under-resourced yeah um and yeah I've all like I I wrote about this in my book and I've always had this feeling but like I've always been a girl's girl I've always in fact all my troubles are with men (laughs) they're my least favorite gender (laughs) I've always been a girl's girl but this has taken it to another another stratosphere you know like but just in response to the tribe thing uh, and the way that we do need each other in the way that it should be I can understand sometimes why it's not that way Mm. Um, and I've only had a tiny tiny taste of this but I've never experienced anything as divisive as, as motherhood. Mm. Um, like I've shared a little bit of my own experience, um, you know, just online or, or with my own friends or, you know, and, and there's a huge amount of reactivity. In fact, I've never seen anything generate as much reactivity. And I think sometimes sharing your experience, even in a neutral way, can inadvertently offend somebody else and you never want to do that so I can see why sometimes people just get insular and just keep it to themselves and say you're better off saying nothing because yeah it's it's just it's like a minefield it's in it's sometimes reactive in a way that you can't handle especially postpartum when you're already vulnerable and you don't want you know to add any more stress or strain to the day so and that's a pity you know because I can see sometimes why that might happen why somebody might pull back from asking or sharing or mm. expressing or or you know giving any kind of take or two cents um on a matter but then on the other hand you will never in your life receive more unsolicited advice so it's a double-edged sword you know and I understand that and it has to be walked with a little bit of respect and regard um but yeah do you think that that might be part of the reason why the tribe disintegrated I think I think the tribe disintegrated because look of of many things I think the structure of how we live yeah is insular yeah um I think the structure of what we are courageous enough to share is in a perfectioned zone as opposed to like I do feel really terrible actually as opposed to look at me I'm out with my two-day-old in a coffee shop and I look phenomenal yeah so much pressure around that so much pressure at a really um aesthetic level like I think we've you know throughout with with women we just judge the whole way along how does my bump compare to hers did she put on weight did I not you know how did she look postpartum versus me why do it's it's so aesthetic as opposed to how yeah but how did she how did she feel throughout it? Maybe actually she lost all the baby weight because she's having a nervous breakdown because she's not coping. Like we need to get, we need to get lower in it. But also I think if we see a mother doing something a different way to how we're doing it, we automatically think that was better. That was better. I'm wrong. She thinks I'm wrong. They all now know I'm wrong. Yeah. And all those doubts that you're trying to silence in your own head are now like, oh, well, I knew it. I knew I was wrong because look, look what she's doing. And obviously she knows more than I. And therefore I was right. I was right to feel that way. My instincts told me I wasn't going to be good at this. And I'm not. This is something else that I probably should say is that I'm probably seen as part of that um, Instagram culture, you know, or like part of that, uh, 
I suppose not necessarily an influencer, but I don't know, I use that word in a broad term, you know, somebody who uses online as a, as a part of their job, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, and even I fall prey to that. Even I look at other accounts online and I think, Jesus Christ, how were they up and out or how did they have their nursery ready or how are they, you know, looking this way or how are they back to work or how are they, you know, I even fall prey to all of that. Even now I look on from this vantage point where I'm definitely more productive now than I've ever been. Um, like I've never kept myself and another person alive, quite yeah. literally feeding them from my body. Yeah. And yeah, I look at other mothers who have, you know, two babies, three babies. And I think, <laughs> I think the limit is endless. Like women are just incredible. Um, and I was not tapped into that before having my baby. And I feel very privileged to kind of, yeah, to kind of have that new perspective now, that new lens. It really is very empowering, even though, God, you do work for it. Like it is not an easy, it is not an easy place to get to. Like it, it is a challenging transition, but it does kind of, it, it really raises the bar on, on your own capacity. And you look at other women differently. Like when I meet somebody pushing their pram down the street mm. pushing my pram there's like a little look you know there's like a little knowing between you I think um I've had to have a, a really good kind of chat with myself about mm. how I'm going to consume that type of media now as a new mum because I don't want to feel less than every day Daniela thank you so much again for joining me I've loved that I could have talked to you for hours because there's just nothing more incredible about seeing a woman in that exact phase of her life when she's in total awe of herself she's in like fear for maybe actually also like can I get through this still and what do I need to do to care for myself still and some crystallized moments of who am I now and I've changed and I want to love this new me while I love my new baby um it's a joy to see him there eating with you it's just he's just you're doing such a good job and I just wish you both (laughs) the absolute best of the next few weeks and years thank you so much it was an absolute honor um and I hope there was some nuggets in there that were insightful or something because I can't remember my words at the best of times at the moment so (laughs) let's hope that was a coherent chat (laughs) all of it was great thank you Thank you so much for listening and to Water Wipes, the world's purest baby wipes for their support. Proven to be purer than cotton wool and water, Water Wipes are made with just two ingredients and are 100% biodegradable, plastic-free and compostable wipes. So you can do what's best for your baby's skin and help protect the planet. If you enjoyed this conversation, subscribe, rate or leave a review. Share this episode across social and get in touch with this week's guest, Daniela Moyles on Instagram.